the church on a rock? Shouldn't have done that. I'm going to cry now. Shouldn't have done it. Hey, my name is Rashad Cunningham. I'm still, for at least the next two hours, <laughs> one, of <the> pa- <laughs> one of the pastors here at Church on the Rock, um, always family here at Church on the Rock, always a brother at Church on the Rock. Um, but uh, I do that not because it's, it's anything for me. We do that because we want to make sure that you are engaged in the Word of God with us and that you are ready for the Word. And so we just want to make sure you're alive. My wife let me drink a bang this morning. So I am... <laughs> Woo! Right? <laughs> so we're going to do that one more time. Good morning, church on the rock! Yes, yes. And so here's the thing. What do you preach for your final sermon of, like Ty said, like, hopefully you guys invite me back as a guest preacher or something, but what do you preach for, like, your final message when you feel like you've said so much over the years and, like, what's that final message supposed to be? So in my mind, I put together this sermon, and some of you saw the graphic. I was like, the choice is yours, right? And I was going to do Joshua, and I was going to be like, as for me and my house, we serve the Lord. Now y'all need to choose who you going to serve. Drop the mic and be out, right? It didn't work that way because God was like, yeah, that's all you and your puffed up head and sit down, right? <laughs> and so um, over the week, I re-prayed, you know, I prayed about everything and I talked to Todd about what she was singing. Uh, we kind of agreed that because we're not doing like a Christmas service and we're not doing like the Christmas Eve thing, like we need to kind of look at the Christmas message as well. Um, and so when I saw the, the songs that she's doing, especially the one after uh, being the light of the world, I approached it from a different angle. Now, any of you who've been under my teaching know I am no good about tradition, right? So if you're here and you're like, man, it's Christmas time and he's going to preach Luke whatever or Matthew whatever. Nope, that's just not me. I've never done that. I'm, I'm horrible with tradition. I always try to find some unique angle of how to tie the Christmas story in. So if we're going to do Christmas, we're going to do it my way. Amen. <laughs> um, so with that... I still did call this sermon Light of the World. Give me my slide, Leah. Look at that. And, it, and, and here's the thing. Like, if you turn the lights on, you can't see the world. And I had this big, like, illustration I was going to do, but it just doesn't work. It gets real corny and gimmicky. And so, like, um, this is what we're going to talk about. Clint, you about to turn the light on? Is that what you about to do? Oh, yeah, my bad. I just called him out. All right. So um, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 4. And what I'm going to do is, because this is like a final sermon, I'm going to take my time and, like, just breaking down some scriptures, giving some thoughts on the scriptures, but a little bit more of a conversation. Uh, I got a lot of points because I didn't know really how to preach this, so I was talking to my brother over there. I was like, I got like seven points. I don't know if I'm going to get through all seven or whatnot. I won't hold you hostage, I promise. But um, I want to see how we can look at uh, the birth of Christ from 2 Corinthians 4, which is a text that you normally would not choose to preach about Christmas. Now, a little bit of context here, right? Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthian church. It's a church that he probably planted. If he didn't plant it, he had a major influence on this church. And there's a lot of, like, clashing that they had here. And so this is really probably his third letter. One of them probably didn't make it because, in my opinion, it was probably full of anger and, like, just he was just frustrated with the church. But this one uh, is preserved. And so um, it's one of his most vulnerable letters. 
Like, if you, if you ever want to know why I pastored this church the way I did in terms of always being an open book, and I know I've gotten dogged for that over the years, it's because of 2 Corinthians. Like, watching Paul be openly broken with this church family and admitting to his flaws and his failures is, to me, the best way to pastor a church, the best way to care for a church, of bringing yourself across the table and not looking down on people, right? And so because of that, uh, I, love this, I love this book of the Bible. I love this section of Scripture. But Paul is defending his ministry because there's these super apostles, as he calls them, who, like, got it all together from the, from the congregation standpoint. Like, they, they, they speak well, and they're articulate, and they don't have to work for a living to do their ministry. They kind of get paid from the ministry. And I remember when, like, when I started at Church on the Rock, I was bivocational, which means I worked a job while pastoring the church. And, and it's, even today, like, people will look at you, other pastors even, and be like, oh, oh, you're one of those, right? Like, you have a job so your, your church must not be successful because if they can't afford to pay you, then there's obviously something wrong with your leadership. And it's like, no, it's like there's 30 of us, right? Like there's 25, 30 of us. We're just getting going. And so Paul was in a similar situation. The Corinthian church was starting to question his ministry because he worked for a living by choice. He went through a lot of afflictions, a lot of problems. There's just a lot of things that made the church look down on him. And there's these super apostles that came in and were preaching and teaching and everything and questioning Paul. And so he writes this letter like defending his ministry. And I landed in 2 Corinthians 4. That's where we're going to be. And since it's kind of dark up here, I'm just going to read off the screen. So Leah, just flow with me like we always do. We'll see how this works. <laughs> um, and so 2 Corinthians 4, 3. So in, in the beginning of 2 Corinthians 4, he comes in and he's like, this ministry that I have, that we have, we have by mercy right? And I want to say that to you. Like, when I think of pastoring Church on the Rock, it's by the mercy of God that I was allowed to be in this position to be your pastor over these last four to five years. There's nothing, we've, we've learned over the years, prayerfully you've learned, there's nothing special about me. There's nothing special about Rashad Cunningham. I'm wearing this shirt, I don't know if you can see it, but it says, it says, not Shad, but God, right? Like, it rhymes and the graves gave it to me, it's weird, but I was like, yeah, okay, I'll wear it. And, and, but it says so much, right? Like, in American Christianity, we get attached to personalities. We get attached to preaching styles and swag and all of this stuff. All the things that have nothing to do with Christ. In fact, a lot of Christmas is attaching to things that have nothing to do with Christ. Presents, lights, trees, and all these other things that we get attached to. And, and like, when I think of ministry, when I think of the privilege I've had here to be a pastor of this church, I think of the mercy of God. Because do you know that there's, there's, there's business places that would never allow me to um, attain a position or a role over people because of my background, because of my history, because of the things that you know about me, because of my flaws, my weaknesses, and yet I've been completely open with you here and more and more people were given over to this church. And more and more people were given over into the, the stewardship and the care of me as a pastor at this church, even with all my flaws being well-known and well-documented. So it is a mercy of God that I was allowed to minister at this church, period. This is how Paul opens up chapter 4. It's a mercy to have this ministry. And so, therefore, he doesn't lose heart. And he gets the building and building and building on his, like, argument for why even in his brokenness he's okay to be called 
Paul, the apostle, because that brokenness is not what makes him good or bad or anything, right? And so he gets to this part in verse 3, and he says, even, like, even if the gospel I'm teaching, even if the good news that I'm preaching is veiled or not seen, it is veiled to those who are perishing. And this hits me so hard, right? Because what he's saying is if, let me see, let's just say that's the light. <laughs> that really could go bad. <laughs> but let's say that's the light. That, like, this is God. This is the light. This is the gospel over here. It's just shining over there, whatever. When he, sa- he says, even if the gospel that I preach is veiled to those where people don't see, it's because they are literally perishing. They're walking away from the light. So imagine if I see the light. And I'm walking towards the light. I see God. I know the gospel. I have this knowledge. And as I'm walking this direction, somebody's walking away from the light. When I share the gospel with them, brother, did you know that eternal life is over here, that da-da-da and all this good stuff? They can't see it because they are literally walking towards death. This is why we call for people to repent and turn around and see the light. This is why we share the gospel so that they turn around and see the light. But what he's saying is if they can't see what I'm preaching, it's because they're not even facing that direction. They're literally walking away from the light. He says, so if you think Paul, because remember, he wasn't a good preacher. He wasn't a good speaker. If you think that they can't see the gospel, that they can't see the light because I'm not a good preacher, It has nothing to do with my preaching, whether good or bad. And if you think here at Church on the Rock, okay, that the success success of this ministry is based on who's preaching, then you've missed it. You've actually missed it. Rashad Cunningham did not build Church on the Rock. I didn't even plant Church on the Rock. I came in years after. Jason was here before me, right? And so any success we've had as a church... It's because of God. has nothing to do with me. And you can amen that, but we'll find out if your amens are real. See, amen sounds good this morning, but does it sound good in three months? Because the question is, what are you actually facing? If you're looking at me, then you're looking at darkness. If you're looking at me, if you're following me, then you're following darkness and the fact that I'm just a human being. Everything I've taught is so that as you look at me, hopefully you see past me and you see the light, not me. Think about this as we move forward in all of these things. But this is what Paul is saying. Like, if they can't see the light, it's not because of my preaching. It's not because of my teaching. It's not because of my popularity. It's not because of my charisma. It's because they're actually looking the wrong direction. And that the wrong thing, he goes on in the next verse and he says, in, those, in, who, in whose case the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so, like, not only are they facing the wrong direction, but then Satan, who has this world as a playground, is sending all kinds of things to blind Everything else that's going on around them, this is, I mean, just think about it, like music, TV, politics, um, all your little hashtags, your social media, all these things Satan is using to blind you, literally. And, and it goes in both directions, right? It's not only bad things that Satan uses, to, like some of us, for some of us, it's the fear of COVID, it's the mass stuff, it's the vaccine stuff, it's the conspiracies, all of that Satan's using to blind you. But for some of us, it's the comfort of, I'm rich, I don't need God, I'm doing fine without God, I got money, I got girls, I got this. So all of it is what he's using to blind, though. It's his playground, this is, this is how he works. 
And so what, what we're always trying to do is shine light on that. We're always trying to point out, like, look, this, this is the good news. It's like that you don't have to earn your status. You don't have to fall into the conspiracy theories. And who cares about them? Like, in the end, God wins. I don't care about this or that. And I don't have to fight about this or that. Like, but what he's saying is that the God of this world is blinding the minds of the unbelieving. And so we see this in 1 John. Like, in 1 John, we see that. But what happens is uh, we don't realize it. It says, like, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Keep going, Leah. It says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And then it says, the world is passing away, and also it's lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. And, and these are the things that blind us. Like, it goes back to the story of Eve, right? Eve is sitting there, and when she meets the serpent, she says, hey, that tree is bad. That tree is not good. That tree is death. She saw it for what it was, right? But then the serpent blinded her simply by suggesting, are you sure that tree is bad? Are you sure that tree's not good? Surely God just doesn't want you to be like him. And then you see the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. It says she, when she saw it differently than what God said, that's when she fell into the sin. Blinded. And this is what we do. We, we see things differently than what God says. God says is this, and when God says is this, that's what the light is, but we see it as something different, and then we fall into that sin. And so we're called to be doing the light, and that would be like my first point. We pursue the light, right? We walk towards the light. That's what we're called to be. That's, that's, that's who we are. We pursue the light. But Paul continues on. He continues on in verse 6. And like I said, my points are all over the place, so I'm just going to keep walking through this. I just want you to see it. I'm going to bring it all the way around to Christmas, I promise, for all you Christmas people. Uh, but give me my next verse after, like, like, somewhere in there, Leah, like, it's going to be like, yeah, right there. Keep going. Keep going past that. Get back to 2 Corinthians for me after that. Yeah, 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 uh-huh. And it's not only Leah. This is all my fault. This is all me. I was watching Mandalorian last night. <laughs> so it says, for God who said light shall shine out of darkness. I think you went a little too far. I think there's a verse 5 right there. Is there? Yes, there is. All right, got you. For he says, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bond service for Jesus' sake. So look at this. Once again, he's defending his ministry. I want you to stay with me here. I know it's a little jumbled up, but just, just walk with me here. So it's not only like if I'm preaching and they're not believing, it's not because of me. It's not because of who I am. It's because they're blinded uh, by Satan and it's because they're walking the wrong direction. But then he goes on to go even deeper. We don't preach ourselves. And I want you to hear this, especially right now in the middle of this transition. Because what's going to happen is the way this church grows is always and will always be the gospel. Always. Discipleship, gospel, baptizing people, teaching them to obey. Like, this is how a church grows, period. This is how the church grows, period. Like, in general, right? And so what happens is, Paul says, I never preached myself, okay? Like, don't get me wrong. I enjoy alliterations, right? I enjoy acronyms. I like to preach with a certain flow and swag. Like, that's just who I am. But I ain't preaching myself. I'll tell you time and time again, go read it for yourself. Go look at it for yourself because I'm not preaching me. I do not want you to fall in love with me. That is ridiculous. I will fail you every time. I might be a good preacher, but I'm a horrible Lord. I'm a horrible Savior. 
And so I don't preach myself, but not only does he say he doesn't preach himself, he says, but what he does preach is Christ Jesus as Lord. And this is vital because check this out, y'all. We could, people, people tell you, you know, hey, Rashad, you need to teach more on this and teach more on that. And it's always like some type of obedience stuff. But here's the thing. If Christ is not Lord, obedience teaching doesn't matter. Like, like, I could sit here and we could do this TED Talk every Sunday where I'm telling you how to be a better human being. But you're still utterly wicked if Christ is not Lord. And so what happens is, if I tell you to uh, stick it out in this or stick it out in that, if I tell you to give or if I tell you to stop doing this or stop doing that, none of it matters if Christ is not Lord of your... Because it's, it's like, why would I do that? Why would I give up these pleasures for what? For you? See, this is what happens. If you do it for people, people fail you. If I love my wife because of her, then when she gets on my nerves, I don't love her no more. That, that's just it. I'm, I'm just like, we laugh, but this is real. And if she loves me because of me, guess what happens when I start failing in the husband area? She don't love me no more. This is why we fall in and out of love. This is why we say that, right? But what happens when I love my wife biblically because of the sake of the Lord who never changes? My wife can be a knucklehead or I can be a knucklehead because if I say her, I'm going to get in trouble. So I could be a knucklehead. And since my wife is loving me for the sake of the Lord, even when I'm doing wrong, she stays with me because of obedience to God as Lord. So now when I'm sitting down with somebody, I can teach it based on, Lord, based on Christ being Lord. Um, but, but if Christ is not Lord, if I don't preach Christ as Lord, all the other obedience doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because he's not the ruler of your life. This is why people like... People come to churches and they blame pastors, right? They're like, oh, I didn't get nothing or that wasn't deep enough and all this. And I'm like, because when we tell you to go do the work of the ministry, you keep bringing the work in here for me to do the work. So I can't, I got to, the people you bring in here, I got to keep teaching that Christ is Lord. I can't go to the other stuff because you won't even obey Christ is Lord to get out of these walls and go do the work of the ministry. We should be bringing back disciples. When we, when we gather on a Sunday, when we gather as a church, we should be bringing disciples in to the church. People who already have, where we've done the work of the ministry, we've won them for Christ, we've baptized, we've done it, and we're bringing them back in to get equipped to go do more work. But what we do is we, we're in this, you know, we, we don't do like the ecclesia of gathering of disciples. We bring everybody in, which is cool, but then don't complain when we have to go back to just teaching Christ as Lord. Because anything else we're teaching doesn't matter if Christ is not Lord. Nothing else matters. Because, because at that point, the people who are here, they're like, that sounds great. Why would I give up any of those pleasures? Why would I give up any of those things of doing life the way I want to if I don't believe in this Jesus cat anyway? I'm not doing it for him. I don't even believe in him. You see what I'm saying? So Paul says, we don't preach, not only do we not preach ourselves, we have to preach Christ as Lord. Because that's where obedience comes from. Remember, since I've been here, it's Lord and Savior. Yes, he died for your sins. Yes, salvation is free, all of that. But it's because you confess him as ruler of your life, Lord. And when you confess him as Lord, when you confess with your mouth that he's Lord and you mean it, guess what it births out? Obedience. It births out obedience. So then when I'm teaching and I'm equipping and I'm fine-tuning from here, you're, you're just like, yes, yes, yes. Uh, Sean Richardson, 
Um, many of you know Sean. Sean, um, Sean when, when he surrendered his life to Christ, I would challenge him on why he hadn't been baptized. He lets me share this story. And so for like three months, we went through all this theological wrestling of what baptism meant. And he just couldn't grasp his mind of like, you know, man, I still don't get why I need to be baptized if I'm already saved and all. And so we were working through all this stuff. I'll never forget. I was sitting outside of a, a couple's house getting ready to do marriage counseling. And it dawned on me. I called him and said, hey, Sean, real quick, do you believe Jesus is Lord? He said, yeah. I said, like, what do you, what do you believe when you say that? And he's like, that means he, he's the ruler, the master of my life. I said, all right, check this out real quick. Jesus said, be baptized. He was like, huh, huh. He's like, let's do it next week. <laughs> like, for three months, I was doing all this theological wrestling and Showing him the, symboli- the symbolism of, like, the death and the burial and the rest. And all, and all it took was me to say, hey, man, do you believe Jesus is Lord? He said, yes. I said, okay, Jesus said be baptized. He said, good point. Let's do it next week. And we went to Eagle Creek, got in that nasty water, <laughs> nasty, nasty water, and we baptized him. But, but like, you see how it, all it took was him coming to the understanding, I've called Jesus Lord. And so because I called him Lord, they're like, that's it. He said it. I'm going to do it. And that's what it's supposed to be. It's that simple, but yet that hard, right? And so he says, not only um, do we not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord. But he says, in ourselves, we also preach ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Literally, your slaves. I know we don't like that word, but that's what it is. Your slaves for Jesus' sake. And now, could you imagine a church? Everybody in this room. Getting outside these walls and living a life of, like, of slavery towards, towards serving others and serving each other. Could you imagine that? And here's how you do it. For the sake of the Lord. You see that? Like, if I do it because of you, if I, if I was the pastor of this church because of you, I love y'all, but I would have quit, like, three years ago. When I start, four years ago, four years ago, I would have quit. First day. We've been like, nope, somebody hurt my feelings. I mean, that's how it goes. But this is what we do. This is why we leave churches, because things aren't going the way we want them to go anymore. Or the preacher that I like is not preaching. It's because we joined the church not for the sake of the Lord, but for the sake of the preacher. But when you start serving each other sacrificially for the sake of the Lord, it changes things. You move from the other end of the country and move here. I'm sorry, I'm just picking on Amber over there. But, but like, like, like you start doing things strictly because God has called you to do it. God has challenged you to do it. And so now you get over your feelings and you start serving each other sacrificially, regardless of who steps on your toes in the church, regardless of who's let you down, regardless of political affiliations and hashtags and all this stuff that divides the church, because I was never serving you for you. I was serving you for him. And he hasn't changed his affiliation, right? And so this changes the way, this changes the way we love. We, we don't just pursue the light, we preach the light. That's my next point. I think it is. Is that my next point, Leah? We preach the light? It should be, right? See, you're supposed to like, Leah, you're supposed to, uh, we preach the light. <laughs> we preach the light. We don't just pursue the light, we preach the light, Right? And so not only do we pursue the light, not only do we preach the light, but um, we possess the light. That's my third point. I told you I got like seven. I'm working through this, okay? I'm really working through this. We possess the light. So we, we pursue it, 
We preach it, not just with our mouths, but with our lives, right? But then we also possess it. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says this. It says, For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So I want you to see something here. He goes back to Genesis 1, 3 and says, In the beginning, when the world was chaotic and unordered, right, and without order, God said, Let there be light. This is, this is magnificent. Like, light is because God said it, right? Light shall shine out of darkness. That same God at the beginning of creation who said, let there be light in the midst of darkness is the same one who has said, let there be light in your hearts. If you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has shown a light in your heart. So you possess something, the same, you possess the same something that God said at the beginning of creation when he said, let there be light. It's a, it's a new creation. Let there be light created something new. There was no light except for God, and he created light by saying, let there be light. So you, when he, when he shines in your heart, let there be light, he's creating something, Cody. Like, he's creating something new. Let there be light. Something new in you. It's a changed life. And, and, and that light is the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Insert baby Jesus. Insert baby Jesus. The baby in his face was the glory of God. Now hold up, man. We got to find this word glory. Me and Woodring have spent so much time trying to find the word glory, and we suck at it. I shouldn't even say that word. We're bad at it. Sorry. And what happens is this. God is holy, meaning he's set apart. That's what the word means. Holy, set apart. He's unique. He's different than any other creator. There's only one God, right? Like, that's it. He's, he's completely set apart. So what is glory? It's hard to define. Like, if, I, if somebody didn't know what a basketball was, you could define it. You could be like, it's orange most of the time. It's round, right, Darius? And it's, like, bounces. And you're like, oh, okay, I got an idea. But if I said, okay, Darius, what's beauty? Like, that's harder to describe. It's like, how do you describe beauty? It's so, like, just all, huh? Oh, Asher, I thought that was, I thought you said Asher. I'm going to say, whoa. <laughs> I was trying to get you points to say Ray. Like, it was on you. You should be like Ray, you know? But check this out. I'm sorry, Ray. Like, <laughs> check this out real quick, though. But check this out. So, like, glory is similar. Like, it's hard to describe the glory of God. But in our attempts with me and Woodring wrestling for months over this, like, Holiness displayed, manifested is pretty much the glory of God. The things that make him him and unique and set apart, displayed and manifested is what makes him the glory of God. If you read the Bible, it says Jesus wasn't necessarily, like America messed Jesus up. We got this nice looking, in many cases, white man that is like, blue-eyed and look at me, chiseled, and that's not Jesus, y'all. Like, that's not Jesus, all right? But but, like, the Bible even says, like, Jesus wasn't necessarily the most attractive person in the world, right? And so glory doesn't mean anything about this physical anything. It's funny when people say, uh, Rashad, when you preach with a hat, you are taking away the glory of God. I'm like, if the hat determines the glory of God, like, you guys have missed with the glory of God. You're looking at something. But what happens is this. The glory of God is is God's holiness manifested. So if Jesus, if in the face of Jesus we see the glory of God, what he's saying is go read the Gospels. Go look at how he loved enemies, of how he, he, how he sacrificed for the poor, 
how he looked at the widow, how he stood in for the adulteress and said nobody cast a stone but still held her accountable. Like, look at what made Jesus different than anybody you've ever read about. That's his glory. And we know that glory because we know Jesus. We know him. Like, if, you, if, you, if you're sitting here right now and you're a believer, then you've met Jesus. And if, you, if you're like me, when I met Jesus, I met him as an alcoholic. I met him while cheating on my wife. I met him while addicted to porn. Like, this is when I met Jesus. And when everybody else did not love me anymore, he loved me. And no, not even my mama, nobody else loved me the way he loved me. He died for me while I was all of these things. And so because I've seen his face, I've seen him. I've seen the glory of God. And because I know that he loved me in my worst, it changes everything about me. There is a light that shines in me that looks different than anybody else in the world. People look at me like I'm crazy. When in the midst of all the racial stuff that was going on, I was sitting down with people calling me nigger. Rashad, how do you do that? Because of the light, of the knowledge, of the glory of God in the face of Christ. The fact, I don't know when Jesus was exactly born, right? I don't know if it was 25th. What I do know is that he was born. That's what I know. And because he was born, it's enough for me to go out and live a life for him because he died for me. You can't do this without that knowledge. You can't do this without believing that. You can't do none of this. All of this becomes this cultural Christianity that leads to emptiness. And you will be disappointed. And you, will, and you won't last inside of a church. And you won't stick it out when a pastor leaves. And all. You won't do any of that because it's all cultural Christianity. What happens when you really start believing that? When you really start believing that God has shown in your hearts and wherever he has placed you, he wants you to operate from right there to shine a light to the rest of the world around you. And you make sacrifices and you stick it out in things you would never stick it out in. This is because we possess the light. It's not you. That's the whole point. It's not you. You possess something that was, that was not of you, and it changes you. It absolutely changes you. And so moving forward, Leah, just keep going. Keep going. Um, so there's a, like, I switched it up. So now the presence of the light, right? <laughs> Go to the next slide. Go to my next slide. It says this. It says, but we, so look at this, same, same context. We have this treasure. What's the treasure? The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the image of Christ. We have that treasure, that's light, in earthen vessels, dark. You, it's, 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 this is the theme right here. We have light in darkness. What's the light? Treasure. What's the darkness? You. Who in here is worthy of the light of God dwelling inside of them? Raise your hand. Exactly. But in your earthen vessels, God chose to place himself in you. Not to sit in here and not be seen, not to sit alone and not be seen, but to go out and change the world. And so he says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Why? So that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. 
And so, like, I'm going to skip around real quick, Leah. Go, I, I, I'm going to give you a little context real quick, and I'm about to wrap this thing up. Um, there's this story in the book of Judges. Many of you know it, Gideon, right? Neat story. What happens is Gideon is this guy who's from Manasseh, which is like the least tribe of Israel. And he's like the youngest, and like, it's crazy because like, this is the last person you would choose. But Jesus literally chooses Gideon, right? And so what happens is because Jesus chose Gideon, uh, he starts questioning, like, how are you going to use me? You know what I mean? Like, how, how does that work? I'm the least. I come from the least tribe and all of this. And Jesus is like, I'm going to use you. And it says, says the angel of the Lord, and it says the Lord. That's a whole other theological thing, but it's Jesus, all right? It's Jesus. Um, it's called theophany. Talk to me about it later. Sorry, I got to keep going. I got to keep going. So anyway, um, at the beginning of chapter 7, he's, he's getting ready to go fight. In Judges 7, he's getting ready to go fight the Midianites, right? He's getting ready to go fight the Midianites. And this is what happens. The Midianites outnumber them 120,000 to 32,000. So I got 32,000 men ready to go fight 120,000, but I believe in you, God. I got you. God looks at Gideon and says, hey, hey, hold on, hold on. Um, that's too many people. And in my mind, when I first read it, I was like, oh, the 120,000 is too many people? He's like, no, no, no. The 32,000 that you got is too many people. Say, what? <laughs> the, the, time out, God. Hold on, hold on. You want me to go fight 120, 32? I'm doing the math. I'm not that great at math, but I, we already are like outnumbered one, you know, one to four. He's like, yeah, it's too many people. Um, ask all of your men, ask them all, who's scared? And whoever's scared, let them go. So Gideon, okay. Hey, how many of y'all are scared to go to this fight? 22,000 people left. Oh, man. So 32,000 just went down to 10,000. What the mess, God? <laughs> that was the wrong question. <laughs> that was the wrong question, bro. 22,000 people left. So now I'm down to 10,000. God goes, all right, all right. That's too many. What? We're now like 1 to 12 ratio here. And 22,000 just left. I'm sure that just sparked some fear in the other 10,000, right? Like, what are you doing? He goes, look, have everybody, like, drink some water. And whoever drinks with their hand and makes, like, this slurping dog sound, yeah, we're going to keep them. Whoever kneels, we're going to get rid of them. And it goes down to 300 people. <laughs> 300 people drink like this, which I don't know how that trains people for war, but whatever. God is God, right? And so now he goes from 32,000 to 300, and God goes, that's my number right there. Me, I'm tripping, right? I'm like, oh, Gideon, you don't know. <laughs> Boy, my, I got you. This is the first time I'm reading this. I'm like, I'm just so into the scripture. Like, this is crazy. He's taking 300 against 30, uh, 120,000. But then, look at this. God gives him this, uh, lets him go down to the camp of the Midianites, and they say, they're like, Somebody had a dream. I'm just paraphrasing here. Go read it for yourself. Judges 6 and 7. Somebody has a dream, and it's like when the interpreter interprets the dream, he's like, yeah, that's because God's sword and Gideon's sword is going to come and destroy us and all that good stuff. And so Gideon's like hype, like, yeah, okay, okay, that's, that's my sign. So he goes back, and in Judges 7, um, is it verse 16, Leah? Is, okay, in Judges 7, 16, look at this. Gideon divides 300 men into three companies. So they're like 100 each, right? And he put trumpets and empty pitchers into the hands of all of them with torches inside the pitchers. Check this out, y'all. The word there, pitchers, in the Hebrew, if you translate it into the Greek and all that good stuff, it's like earthly vessels. It's, it's jars of clay. The pitchers are jars of clay. And so all the, these 300 men that are about to, to battle these 120,000 people have, 
is a horn, a ram's horn, and a jar of clay with a light on the inside. With a light on the inside, right? And so in the middle of the night, they're split up into 300 people. And uh, Gideon, like, blows the horn, and they all blow the horn. And then they break the jar of clay so that the light can be seen. And then it's funny, the people in the Midianites said, oh, no, the, the sword of the, of, of the Lord or the sword of God and the sword of Gideon is upon us. They didn't have any swords. They ended up killing each other in all the chaos. But, but like, all they were armed with was a horn and the light inside of the jar of clay. And, and in many ways, that's all we're armed with, right? That's all we are. We're, we're jars of clay that, that must be broken so that the light on the inside can be seen. And when I, when I put that together, the Israelites who were reading Paul's letter would have known that story and been like, wow. Like that same torch that was inside of that jar of clay that was all that they had to overcome 120,000, that's the same torch that's shining inside of me. Period. And so sometimes what God will do is he'll allow things to happen that break that jar so that the light can be seen. And that's where we're going to start to finish this. In 2 Corinthians 4, 8, um, look what it goes into. It says, so we are afflicted in every way. In our jars of clay, we have pressures coming in from every way, but we're never crushed because of the light. We're perplexed and confused, but we're never without hope because of the light. He goes on and says, we're persecuted, but not forsaken because of the light. We're struck down, but not destroyed. And all you see is this light in darkness, light in darkness. Now insert yourself into 2020. I don't know about you, but it's been dark. It's been very, very dark all year long. And that's without COVID. It's just been a dark year, period. But because of what I know about the light that God has put inside of me, I'm not forsaken, I'm not destroyed, I'm not crushed, I'm not without hope. And so no matter what the world tries to do to me, I look at the world like Paul does and say, what can you do, kill me? Jesus conquered the grave. But to conquer the grave, Jesus had to be born. He had to be born. And so because I know he was born, because I know that he came down and became a light to the world in the midst of oppression and chose to put his light in this, honestly, the word is like Tupperware. It's not like fine china, right? It's the, the, the jar of clay is like Tupperware. It was, it was everyday dishes. He put the light into the everyday dishes so that everybody could see the power of God and not the power of Rashad or Amber or Mike or Brittany Genesis or Kristen or Peter. Like, like, it's, it's not about you. And so this is where I want to end it right here. As we move forward in all of this, I want you to find stability. Stability that you may not feel you have in that right there, the face of Jesus Christ, that he was born, that he did come here. Because if not, it, it, it'll, it'll rattle you. Quick little story. Um, when I started here at Church of Rock, my first sermon, Mama, do you remember we was over there, the very first sermon, 2016, I'm the new pastor at Church on the Rock, January 3rd, 2016, Tyler sings, It Is Well. 
And we look at people, and I'm like calling out things that they're struggling with and saying, will you sing it as well? And people are standing up. Tyler sings that thing. She had like a little black soul in her too. Like, you know, it was and we're all crying. I'm like, yes, yes. And I got so caught up in what happened that I was like, man, look what I preached. Look what I did. I put all the light on me. You, you guys don't notice. I put all the light on me. And so what happened was because I felt like it was me who did that, because I felt like it was me who made all that happen with my sermon and my excellence, midway through the week, I was like, how do I, how do, I do that again? And how do I manufacture that? How do I make that happen again? And I got so scared that I wasn't able to be what I was the week before that Josh had to preach for me Sunday. And I lied to Josh and told him I was sick because I was scared that I was going to fall short of producing something I never produced to begin with. That's real. And ever since that day, and Josh, I'm sorry because I did lie to you. You did a great job. (laughs) Ever since that day, I said, I will never, ever put that on me again. What happened that day was because of God, and what's happened every day since then is because of God. And so as we get ready to move into this next phase, you have to remember that because Jesus was born, you have everything you need for this church to continue to be faithful and obedient. And that's what biblical success is. I don't care about your numbers. In fact, I would say hallelujah to the fact that if God trimmed down the the 32,000 to 300 to get the job done, amen. What I care about is that you believe in the face of baby Jesus, that he was born. And therefore, because he died, because he was resurrected, and because you believe in him as Lord, that light, that power of resurrection, the Holy Spirit rests in you. And we can do the impossible regardless of where I'm preaching on a Sunday morning. We can do the impossible together. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. So if we get ready to bow our heads and get ready to sing, I want you to think about that as you're listening to the words of this song, Light of the World. It touches on things about like the brokenness of just humanity in general and how much is all about what Christ is doing in us. Ah. Clint, hit my music, man. (laughs) I want you to um, like sing the song like you believe in the light, right? Not like you believe in me. Uh, over the years, man, like, what I've found is that you guys love me in spite of me. And I thank you for that. You guys, God used you to build me up into the leader I am. I was not a leader, as my wife. But uh, God used this church to build me up in that way. You, you helped me believe in myself um, in areas I didn't believe. And so, um, in the same way that Jesus has been a light to the world, I thank you for being a light in my world. Every one of you. I mean it. I know everybody in this room. I really, yeah, I know everybody in this room. I thank you for being a light in my world at different stages. But I beg you, if you are committed to this, like, continue that work. The work doesn't stop. The work doesn't stop. And we're still together. And we're still working for the same purpose. And do you know how long eternity is? Y'all be sick of me when it's all said and done. So listen, we got more work to do, right? We got more work to do.
And that work is letting people see the light that is inside of these, these earthen vessels. God's going to shake things. He's going to break things so that people can see what makes us holy, what makes us different, so that people can see the glory of him and him alone. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning. Father, we thank you for the years that we've had together. We thank you for the years that we will have together, the years to come. Um, and we thank you. We thank you for Jesus who, who didn't grasp on to the equality with you, Father, but emptied himself out so that he could be among us, light among darkness, and live a holy life that displayed your glory and then told us to believe in him and go do the same. Father, press our hearts, challenge us, motivate us, Father, to go do the same. Let us know no one person is responsible for the work that you've been doing here at Church on the Rock in this beautiful community. No one person is responsible for the lives that have been saved through this church. No one person is responsible for anything that happens in your kingdom except for Jesus. That is the only one person it is. And so, Father, let us rest in him and find our comfort in him. And let us move forward knowing that because of the light of the world, we can be light for the world. It's in Jesus Christ name we pray. Amen. If you want to stand and sing this last song with us. Tears of a mother, a baby's cry is the sound of love. Come down, come down, Emmanuel. Oh, here's a song for the suffering. Here's Messiah, the Prince of Peace has come. He has come, Emmanuel. Love. 
This podcast is a ministry of Church on the Rock, building his body, breaking our barriers. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at www.churchontherockbb.com.